We're all gathered together um, today, and you're going to see a number of children in the house because this is one of those weekends, a family worship weekend, where we uh, give our uh, ministry partners that serve in our children and student area an opportunity to have a weekend off. It would be great for us to celebrate them as well. We're grateful for all the folks that serve there. And so now, let me just say this. If we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Merle. I serve as lead pastor here. We're really glad that you have made the decision to worship with us, whether you're here in the worship center or you're in the chapel or you're joining us online. This is a great opportunity to uh, really experience the love and the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. We love to say around here that we're just an ordinary group of people who have discovered that Jesus Christ is extraordinary. Our mission is to unleash Jesus' transforming influence, and we want more than anything else for any of you who have yet to come to faith in Jesus to open yourself up to experience that transforming influence and power in your life. It's transformation for the better. We want to serve you in any way that we can. We have people online. We have people here in the building that would be glad to talk with you about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. To our online folks, if you'll go to pleasantvalley.info and uh, fill out a communication card there, that would be great. If you're here in the building, just fill out the communication card that's on the bottom of the bulletin, and then you can take it to the back of the worship center. You can give it to Pastor John in the chapel, and then we'll make sure and follow up with you. We're wrapping up um, emphasis on mental health awareness. We've been talking about that all month long, and just want to say to you once again, we are committed to your mental health. We have ministries and staff that are committed to help you and others, and if we can do so, please let us know how. You can go to the care page on our website and find more information about that. Uh, we'd love to come alongside of you. So uh, this week I was reading a story, and the story was back in a day when uh, medical science uh, was not quite what it is these days. And so there was this individual who um, got bit by a dog and they determined that the dog had rabies. And so they rushed the guy to the hospital and uh, the doctor looked at him and said, it's rabies, we don't have much that we can do in our day and time. Uh, this, is, this is terminal, this is going to take your life. And uh, we'll do everything we can to make you comfortable, but I would suggest that you really need to start getting your affairs in order. And the guy said to the doctor, well, do you have, a, do you have a, something that I can write on? And so the doctor gave him a, a pad and gave him a pencil, and he began to write just feverishly and intensely. And the doctor said, and it is... It is so impressive to see that you've just like taken this very seriously right here and right now. And I'm so delighted that you're writing out your will. And he said, Doctor, this is not my will. This is the list of the people I'm going to bite before I die. We live in an age of biting and devouring one another. Would you agree? It's an age of rage. It's an age of anger. It's an age of hatred. And uh, we find ourselves 
struggling with all of what we're hearing and all of what we're seeing. And it, it seems like, and it's just seemed like over a period of time that, that the anger and the rage and the hate, epidemic of hate, has just gotten worse. And the question is, how are followers of Jesus supposed to respond? How are we to live? What are we to do in a world that really is marked by so much, so much discord, whether it's Buffalo, whether it's Uvalde, whether it is the dumpster fire of smoldering <laughs> hatred that exists on Twitter and other social media. One of the things that we know is that followers of Jesus do not fan the flame of conflict. We are different. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. We are a light of reconciliation that is to shine bright in a world of anger and hatred. Would you agree? That is part of what we get to do in this world is we get to bring about a better way. We get to shine a brighter light. We get to give an alternative to all that is out there. We're in a sermon series based on the greatest sermon that's ever been given called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been thinking together ever since this year began on what does it look like to flourish in life. And we said flourishing people are people that are so filled with God that they are fruitful for God and therefore they are fulfilled with their life. And we said over the past couple of weeks, if you want to truly flourish in life, then you have to give attention to who is it that is guiding your life, who is filling you with direction, where are you get, getting your values from. And we said, if we're going to flourish, we want to know and we want to do what Jesus says. And so we're spending some time reflecting on what does Jesus say about certain facets of life. And so this week we're going to look at what does Jesus say about anger? And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5 21 through 26 says this, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hell fire. So if you're offering your gift at, on the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with him to court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Jesus kind of makes us nervous. Jesus is not a pushover. Jesus is not 
soft peddling. What does it mean to be a kingdom person, a person who lives under the rule and reign of God? Jesus is saying, this is what's expected of my people who live a righteousness, a right way of living that is greater than the religious leaders that were all about rules and not about heart when it comes to following after God. So there's three practical things I want to talk about before we're done. Truth number one is this. If we're going to flourish, we have to accept Jesus' authoritative application of Scripture. I mean, that's the very point that Jesus is making. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Jesus said, I've talked about this past couple of weeks, he is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament is about. He is the key to interpreting what is in the Old Testament. And Jesus is therefore saying, I give the authoritative application of Scripture. You look at verse 21 and 22. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors. This is the way it used to be. But I tell you, Jesus is challenging the way religious leaders interpreted the Old Testament. He's saying that he has the authority to give it its true meaning. He goes beyond the letter of the law and gets to the intent behind the letter of the law. And then what we're going to see that he's going to do in Matthew chapter 5 is he's going to look at six different Old Testament scripture, different commands. And he's going to interpret them in light of the new life that he has come to give his followers. And so if you were, if you were going to look at it, I'm going to give you just a little bit of Bible study to help you as you look at this. If you look at what Jesus did in the rest of Matthew 5, he does this. First of all, he quotes from the Bible. Second of all, he interprets or extends or counters the quotation. Third of all, he opposes how the scripture has been interpreted by the religious leaders. He, fourth, probes behind the original scripture into God's mind. And then finally, he reveals what was the intent of what God said in the Old Testament and how he expects us to live. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, the religious leaders, they focused on all things external. They focused on what does it look like? How are you coming across in terms of when people see you? And Jesus is saying, listen, don't get focused on just external behavior modification. I want you to think about the heart of the matter. I want to get to the very heart and the mind of God. And so before we go any further, here is the question all of us have to answer. If we want to flourish in human relationships and not be mastered by anger, which all of us experience, we have to ask ourselves, will we accept Jesus' authority? Will we accept what Jesus has to say and be willing to live by it? Now, that's not a simple question. It really does come down to a, to a question of authority. And here's what I know about every one of us. You can say that you're compliant, but every one of us 
has our own little kingdom. We are kings of our own little kingdom, and none of us want anybody telling us what to do. Is anybody in the building? Yes, right? Do you like people telling you what to do? No. Okay? If Jesus is saying this is the best way to live in order to flourish, you and I have to be willing to bow a knee in submission and say, Jesus, I'm going to accept your teaching on this. And so if we're willing to do that, then that leads us to the second application. If we're convinced that Jesus has the authoritative interpretation and application of Scripture, then I show that I'm truly a follower of his when I heed his strong warning about anger. When I heed his strong warning. Now, before we look at Jesus' words, let me just say this. Uh, Kids, I want you to hear me for just a minute. Feeling anger does not mean you are a bad person. Anger is an emotion. The point is... What do you do with the emotion that you feel? Most of us feel anger whenever we are harmed or we're threatened. Whenever it feels like somebody is going to take something from us or take control of us, we begin to feel the emotion of anger. So feeling the emotion of anger is not bad. That's not what Jesus is getting at. And Jesus is not talking about what we would call righteous indignation or righteous anger when Paul says in Ephesians 4, 6, be angry, but do not sin. There's a sense in which when I heard what was going on among some of the leaders of our denomination, I felt a righteous indignation that people would abuse others and there would be people who would cover up the abuse. When I heard about what was done to our black brothers and sisters at the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, New York, I felt indignation that somebody would have that kind of hatred over somebody whose skin is a different color and go in and murder them. And when I heard about Uvalde and I heard about some sick 18-year-old who's going to go in and he's going to take the life of innocent children and teachers, I felt a sense of such righteous anger. Who does that? But Jesus isn't talking about that. The point that Jesus is getting at is, I want to talk about unholy anger. And if you're going to flourish... You do not allow yourself to be captivated by unholy anger. If you look at, if you look at verse, if you look at verse twenty-one and twenty-two, uh, Jesus is saying this: "You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment.'" Yeah. That's true. Nobody, nobody listening to me right now would say, "Hey, that, that's an issue here." I don't know of anybody in this room that's going, yeah, I'm I'm guilty of that or I'm going to do that. But Jesus says this, but I tell you, everyone who is angry, and the word that Jesus is using there is a very specific kind of, of anger. 
He's talking about an anger that is a nursed inward malice, something that you are cultivating inwardly. It's a settled mood against someone, and it's destructive. And Jesus is saying oftentimes, anger that is unchecked, anger that is destructive, destroys other people and murders their soul through the words that are expressed. Jesus says, if you ever insult another person, verse 22, look at it like this, verses 22 in the Christian Standard Bible and in the New International Version, it'll help you kind of get the feel of this, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. The way some translations deal with insulting is they go with the literal thing, anyone who says to his brother, Raka. That's an insult. And if you hear it the way that I'm saying it, Raka. The idea is that you're about ready to spit at a person. And so the idea is an idea of contempt. And Jesus says, a person who has anger in their heart to the degree that they are going to say contemptuous words about other people. They're basically murdering the soul of another individual just with their words. He also warned about calling somebody a fool. The word in the Greek is moros. Does that sound familiar? Moron, that's where we get our word. But it carries with it this idea. To say to a person in those days that you're a fool is to say that you are immoral and you are godless and you are idiotic. Again, it's using words to cut and to destroy. And Jesus, the point is this. Jesus isn't going, let me give you more rules about some words that you shouldn't say. That's not the point. What Jesus is doing is he's taking the acts of true righteousness to the very root of sinful attitudes that explode in angry words to other people. Attitudes can express themselves in such a way that, again, it's like murdering the soul of a person with words. And Jesus is wanting us to know Contempt should never come from the heart or the mouth of a follower of Jesus because that's not what is inside of us. So let me give you a little illustration here. So I just poured some water on the stage, right? That was obvious. There's water on the stage because I poured it out. So why is there water on the stage and not Pepsi or Kool-Aid? Well, the reason that there's not Pepsi or Kool-Aid on the stage because I don't want to get in trouble with our custodians. They would come after me if I poured Pepsi or Kool-Aid on the platform. But the reason that there is water on the platform is because there was water in the bottle. What's the point? The reason that 
angry words, contempt come out of our mouths is because of what is on the inside. Jesus said this in another place. He said, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good person produces good fruit out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil that is stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks from the overflow, from the overflow of the heart. Jesus gives a strong warning to us. And if we're going to live lives that flourish and not be mastered by anger, we need to heed his strong warnings against anger. And let me see if I can spin it and make it a bit more positive. Dallas Willard put it like this. There is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. Let me read that again. I want you to think about your journey right now. There is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. Dr. Paul Minereth said 95% of the human relationships problems that exist exist because of unresolved anger. So take that statistic and overlay it in your closest relationships, where you work, in your school, and in our nation. We could do so much better without anger that we are doing with anger. Jesus says, don't do it because you're setting yourself up to experience judgment when you live a life that is marked by uncontrolled anger. So if I'm convinced that Jesus gives an authoritative application of Scripture and I heed his strong warning about anger, the third practical application is this. I will want to follow Jesus' wise direction for reconciliation. Really, the whole point of what Jesus is getting at is don't be mastered by anger. Master your own soul and instead live lives in harmony and unity and reconciliation with one another. And Jesus basically gives two wise points of direction here. Direction number one is this. Prioritize right relationships over correct rituals. Look at verse 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift on an altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. Then come offer your gift. What is Jesus not saying? Jesus is not saying that making offerings and giving is bad. He's not saying don't do that. And Jesus is not saying worship is to be eradicated from your life. Jesus is simply saying this. Make sure that you understand that God emphasizes relationships more than ritual, more than religiosity. Jesus is saying something radical. No Jew would ever think about this. 
No Jewish person would ever think once we are in synagogue, once we're in the midst of our service of worship, I'm just going to check out. I'm going to walk out on it. That would have been unthinkable. You wouldn't do that. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you something that's really radical. If somebody has something against you, you need to emphasize getting right with that person. Why? God is more interested in relationships than he is us doing right religious practices. And let me just be real practical for a minute. You know one of the best places to hide from God? It's right here. One of the easiest places to hide from doing right by God is to hide in the church house and just to say, well, at least I come to worship or at least I am in you know, Bible study, or at least I give, or at least I volunteer. You can do all of that and not have a right heart towards another person. And God wants you to be right. Don't come and hide from what it is that needs, that needs to happen. Let me say it like this. It's really hard to worship God in holiness when there is unresolved relationship issues with another person. If you're nursing something in your heart towards another person, it's going to be hard to really hear from God. Let me tell you from my own experience, there have been times that I have been a worship experience and I've thought, man, it was incredibly flat. There's no spirit there. I didn't feel like God spoke to me. But do you know why I felt that way? It's because I had issues in my heart against another person that were unresolved. And so I was interpreting what was happening in the worship service based upon a toxic spirit I had inside of myself. So the appeal that I would make to all of us right now is, are you aware of relationship issues that you have not dealt with? that need to be dealt with. God wants all of us to live a life of, of harmony. Think about Father, Son, and Spirit. They live in perfect unity. And that's what we're invited to do with one, we're invited to do with one another. Jesus says, prioritize right relationships over correct rituals. And then second of all, his timely advice is this, be timely and intentional to make things right. Be timely and intentional to make things right. Verse 25 and verse 26. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until the, you have paid the very last penny. When Jesus says, reach a settlement, this is what he's saying literally. He's saying, come to agreeable terms with the person. As quickly as you can, see if you can come together with the person and find a place of agreement. Find a place where it is, it is common ground, where you can have a conversation, where you can seek to work, where you can seek to work things, work things out. Timeliness is incredibly important. Let's talk about timeliness for a minute. 
really, I'd love to do just an entire sermon on whole anger management, but that's not what this is about. But I am going to give a couple of words of advice. Sometimes it's wise to wait and give a cooling off period when you are flooded with the emotions of anger. I'm here to testify I have done more harm by not cooling off and letting the flooding of emotions to subside. I've said things that I wish I would not have said. My face has contorted in ways that I wish it would not have contorted. I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes you need to cool yourself down before you continue to work through a situation, but it's imperative that you deal with an angry relational problem and not allow it to linger. Because when you let things linger, they simply get worse. Paul gives advice, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. What are both Paul and Jesus saying? Not being intentional in dealing with relational issues has bad consequences. And God doesn't want us to have bad consequences. Let me just say personally, and Jesus isn't saying this, but I'm going to make an application. If you have unresolved anger in your own life, you are doing your own soul and body harm. Physiologically, unresolved anger can lead to all kinds of diseases. It can lead to hypertension. It can lead to heart disease. It can lead to ulcers. It can lead to digestive and bowel issues. If you live your life with unresolved anger and you don't bring it before God and say, I want to deal with this. But not only that, think about the kind of harm it inflicts on other people. When anger controls you, it harms you and it harms other people. And Jesus is simply saying this, take responsibility. You've got to take responsibility to move towards personal reconciliation. This is what happens if you and I abandon personal responsibility. You don't get to control the consequences. Jesus says, listen, if you've got something with a brother and you're on your way to court and you don't take the personal responsibility to try and deal with it before you get to court, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences that you no longer can control because you have handed off the results to somebody else. And so you can take that application, you can say, yeah, don't go, don't get in litigation. The point really isn't that as much as it is this. We have to be responsible for working towards reconciliation. And if you and I don't, we are letting ourselves not have any say on what any of the consequences can be as a result of that. Now, let me just say this. Reconciliation doesn't mean that you have to take the blame for everything. Reconciliation doesn't mean that you can control what other people are going to do when you try to make things right. All you can do, in the words of Paul, Romans 12, 17 and 18, is this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought 
to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is all that you can do. Let me draw this to a close. We don't have to be overcome by the epidemic of hate and anger. We do not have to be mastered by those emotions. And so this is all I'm going to ask us to do. Are you willing to have an honest assessment and see your life gracefully through the eyes of Jesus regarding this area of your life? And second of all, are you willing to bring it to him? Are you willing to bring it to him? Are you willing to bring a unresolved issue that you have with another person, first of all, to him before you bring it to that person? And once you've brought it to him, are you willing to be courageous and take the step and move toward that other person? And so this is what I want to do in conclusion. I just want to invite us to pray. I just want to invite us to pray. When I think about what is happening in our world as a whole, in our nation as a whole, and I go, there are certain things that I cannot control, but there certainly are things that I can control. And maybe there are things that I need to repent of. And maybe you do as well. Maybe your tongue has become sharp. Maybe you have developed a caustic spirit to other people. Maybe there has been less willingness to seek to understand before you are understood. Maybe you are too quick to pick a side. Maybe you're too quick to make a judgmental assessment. Maybe you're too quick to withdraw and to hide. Maybe you're too quick to allow your emotions full reign and not bring them to Christ. I'm just going to invite us to stand right now here in this room. We're going to stand in the chapel. And I just want to give you a moment to have some silent prayer, and then I will close in prayer. So let's pray. You bring whatever it is that you need to bring to God. If there's confession that needs to happen, confess. If there's repentance that needs to happen, repent. And then to receive God's grace. So, Lord, here we are in your presence, and I thank you, God, in, that in your presence there is no condemnation, but I do thank you that there is appropriate redemptive conviction. I thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, and it's your grace that meets us at the ground of repentance and, and offers us forgiveness and offers us power to chart a new course. God, I'm convinced 
knowing us like I know us, like I know me. This message has hit us at different points in the journey. Some of us are on the receiving end of the wound. Some of us are the wounder. And regardless of that, there has been in many of our lives some relationship tension and hurt. And my prayer, God, is that you would bring about healing and that we would truly heed the warnings of Jesus that anger is something certainly that we have to deal with. Or it, it can become uncontrolled like we have seen to like an infinite degree with some individuals in our country. God, we don't want to murder people with our words. We don't want to have contempt for people that see things differently than us, who feel things differently than us. We want to be a shining light of reconciliation, a shining light of righteousness, so that when people see us in the midst of difficult circumstances, they see something that's different. They see us handling it different. They see the application of the gospel. They are able to see this is what Jesus' people really are like. And so, God, we come to you, and we, uh, we ask you to continue to do the work that you're doing right now in our lives, and we pray, God, that uh, you would bring healing to our land. God, we pray that, um, that we would seek you with all of our heart, that we would turn from our wicked ways and that we would seek you, and God, that you would heal our land, and God, that you would heal our lives. We pray this in hope, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we said...